Seek Outside Podcast listeners, what is up? Got some huge, huge news for you. Here at Seek Outside, we are going to be discontinuing production of tents and backpacks and switching over to a strictly NFT trading company. Nah, just kidding. We got something way better for you. We have our end of the year seconds backpack sale. Um, basically, what we do is we get all of our seconds backpacks, put them up on the website. They're 15% off. Uh, this is the perfect opportunity for you to, you know, fulfill that uh, one item on your Christmas list that maybe you weren't going to be able to get. Um, if you want more information on this sale, go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, or get on Instagram or Facebook. We're going to be announcing dates um, on those platforms. Another thing, we got free shipping site-wide to the continental U.S. Um, if you want to take those expensive shipping costs off your order, take advantage of this right now. Uh, enter the code FREESHIP21 at checkout and it'll, it'll wipe that shipping cost off uh, for you. One last thing regarding the holiday season. Um, if you would like to place an order and you want to get that order before Christmas time, make sure you do it before December 16th. That is the last date that we can guarantee shipping before Christmas. Um, if, if the item is in stock, obviously. So thank you guys so much for listening. And, uh, hopefully, hopefully you guys have a wonderful Christmas holiday season, whatever you celebrate. Um, check that website, check Instagram. And enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Outside Podcast. Yeah, there's there's no question to know. David Lean. And you were the uh, head chapter leader of Colorado VHA? Clay Hayes. Uh, well, I got stalked by a mountain lion, uh, made a fishing pole out of a lodgepole pine. Falconry and bird dogs, can they coexist? Oh man, and do they. Shitty weather and lots of bears. That's what this podcast is about. You made a point when you get up in those high basins and the thunderstorms come rolling in. That's how I got into trail running. Some people are just wired that way. Not only killing an animal, but killing like a turkey. Like I can imagine, like I I can remember very vividly my the entire story of me killing my first bull elk. But um, for like just like a turkey, I think it's pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. But uh, that that's kind of what that's kind of what the podcast was about. Nice. Um, now that um, I've totally hijacked this podcast. Nah, it's all good, dude. <laughs> I I want to do one because. I want to do one like that because my uh, my grandpa, you know, he got my dad into hunting, who got me into hunting, but he would always go to the border of Idaho, Utah, and Nevada back in the 50s, and they would shoot the biggest mule deer that you could even imagine. And they would get, they could shoot two bucks in each state and they could hunt all three states in the little spot that they were at so they would just come home every year with like like six 30 inch mule deer that were like non-typical just giants and my uncle just recently sent me a bunch of slides that he had in his garage of all their pictures from like their 50s hunting camps and stuff like that so they're just they're so cool man uh, i want to i got to figure out some way to 
to do something with them because they're just they're priceless man but anyway well huh. we got uh we're we're here on the seek outside podcast we'll just dive into it now we got Bo martonic we got a guest um also that we haven't had on the on the podcast in a while lee harrison um and we're just kind of here to talk today we're gonna Bo's had some adventures over here in colorado recently um sounds like you had some fun and some uh some harrowing experiences back in in august and september here in colorado is that correct yeah first of all thanks thanks for having me on um i greatly appreciated getting to talk with you guys it felt like we were uh, going back and forth for a little while and and finally we got a date nailed down the three of us could get on there so I'm, i'm pumped to come on yeah that's how it goes man yeah i'm excited man um so you are the host of the east to west podcast correct one of the hosts east meets west east East meets meets west West. sorry about that yep um and you kind of you kind of focus mostly on you know the experience of people who live on the east coast going out west here to hunt big game or whatever you want to hunt out here and uh it sounds like you had a an experience that you can really relay to to folks that might want to do that is that with the whole altitude sickness you want to explain that whole situation yeah yeah so it's yeah it's it's uh kind of funny but not really but i guess i had a pretty good learning lesson for someone that tries to help people plan uh yeah. western style hunts and and i started coming out west in 2016 and i've hunted at high altitude every year since and never had much of any issue with it it um I've had, you know, like the, the typical, you know, it takes a couple of days, you're a little slower and have some headaches and stuff, but never any serious issues. And actually this year I felt like I took it more serious than, than any time before because I was planning a, a backpack mule deer hunt and we were going to be camping, you know, and plan to camp anywhere between 12 and 13,000 feet in some of the spots way up high. And I'd never camped that high before. I've hunted that high, just never camped that high. And... I, I noticed when I was I was feeling kind of sick before I went out there and I got tested for COVID all this stuff and I was didn't have anything nothing came back and when I went out there I just felt like we got there four days before the season opened to acclimate because my buddy had a serious um, did you just say four days before the season yeah yeah four so, days before the season yeah so we were planning on backpacking in two days before the season opened, taking two days on the front end just to kind of chill out and get used to it, and then uh, backpack in to scout for a couple of days before we before the season opened. And but my buddy, he had had uh, pulmonary edema before and was hospitalized and had fluid in his lungs and everything from altitude sickness. So I was aware of what to look for, and we all went out yeah. there with. Uh, prescription diamox for altitude to prepare for it knew the steps and the stages what to do and mine ended up being from uh, the sickness that i had ahead of time that led me to not getting enough uh, oxygen flow this is i might uh, be speaking a little bit out of terms here because i'm not a doctor but this is just what they had kind of told me there so i i really i couldn't catch my breath at all when i was hiking i felt like I was 400 pounds and I had smoked my entire life. Like I just felt like I could not do anything. <laughs> what was the what was the medication you guys brought? Um, and and what is like what is it supposed to combat? 
So it's called like di- it's specifically with 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 altitude sickness. Yeah, it's called Diamox, and it, it's supposed to to help with um, again the oxygen flow through throughout your body and being able to get that when you're at the high altitudes and. So it's it, like a kind of like a vasodilator type. That's exactly deal, what it is. That? is. Yeah, I couldn't think okay. of the term, so that's exactly what it yeah. is. Um, but it, uh, it it had helped. I mean, my buddy who had was hospitalized before, his was also from. He had Lyme's disease, and the medication that he was on had killed, like, just beat down his immune system pretty bad. So he, both of us that got sick, had some underlying conditions that led to that. But the doctor that when I was in the ER was telling me all about um, how like people can it can affect you at any time and doesn't matter you know if you have those underlying conditions or if you were just um, or just you could been going out there for ten years and the eleventh year it it affects you and so it's important to be able to pay attention to those things and the biggest the biggest thing that I noticed other than not being able to catch my breath was how my brain responded to it like I just I couldn't think straight I was having trouble you know doing simple motor skills and when mm-hmm. I had went up the um, two days before the season I got halfway in we were planning on our camp was like where we were planning on camping was just over seven miles in and I only made it a little over I think it was like three and a half but so about halfway in and I had a set up camp and I told the rest of the guys keep going. So I Justin, the uh, camera guy that was with me, he stayed with me, and I I couldn't even. Like, I went to like set up my tent and I went to lay down, and I just was having a lot of problems in my watch. I have this Garmin watch that tells you your blood oxygen level and your heart rate, and even when I was just sitting there, my heart rate was always over a hundred, and and my wow. blood oxygen level kept dropping down lower kept dropping below 90 which i knew wasn't wasn't terrible but i knew it was two days before the season at that point so i was like let i'm gonna hike back down i don't feel great uh stay at lower elevation and then come back up again so that's what i did and i still even when i got to lower elevation this was the first sign where i should have known something else was wrong because i went down to six thousand feet from twelve thousand feet or wherever i was at and I still felt terrible the next day, which typically with altitude, once you come down, you should start feeling better. And I wasn't, yeah. but I was like, ah, season's opening. I need to try to go back up. So I did, and I was even worse this next time. And once I got to my camp, it was like 5.30 in the afternoon. It took me, I, I don't remember the exact time, but it took me a long time to walk those three and a half miles. like four times what it should yeah. and when I got there and, and laid down um, my heart rate just kept spiking I felt like I couldn't breathe and I ended up falling asleep and, and waking up gagging and I looked at my watch and my my uh, watch was showing my blood oxygen level was in the 70s which I knew was definitely not <laughs> I knew that was a dangerous level where you could have permanent yeah. lung swelling and, and brain swelling issues and damage and I tried cooking up my dinner and I couldn't figure out how to work my lighter and get my stove together. And Justin was finally like, man, like we, we, we gotta go. You look like a ghost right now. So I left all my gear up there again and just hiked off and then went to the, went to the ER and right off the bat, they thought I had COVID 
pneumonia because it was like the same exact symptoms. So they had me on lockdown and I had people coming in covered in suits and stuff, you know, um, trying to to figure out what was going on. That came back negative and they had, you know, IVs hooked up to me and oxygen and everything got me back up to, to, to normal there. But the doctor said, hey, you can't hunt or go anywhere above 8,000 feet for the rest of this trip. He's like, how long are you here for? I'm like, two weeks. And, you know, a high country mule deer hunt is not, when you can't go above 8,000 feet, it's kind of kind of difficult. So that kind of <laughs> really derailed my plans. <laughs> Dude, that's freaking scary, man. That's like, that yeah. gets to the point where, you know, man, thank God you had some other people with you. And you, yeah. did you have a, a Garmin and stuff like that to just in case stuff yeah. hit the fan man that's terrifying yeah i had an, an in reach on me and it was it was actually so when i was going to leave to go to the hospital i got a text on my in reach from my two other buddies that were in deeper and my cousin killed a buck because it was opening day and i'm like, oh, like let me get out go there. help them pack it out but i can't like you know it was one of those yeah. things that so i i went out and you know went to the to the ER there and actually Justin who filmed the hunt he drove all the way back there in the middle of the night and packed in those seven miles hiking through the night to help those guys out I mean that was above and beyond what he needed to do but he helped them in my absence and I I drove back in the morning to pick them up at the trailhead so <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah it yeah was, man, that's it was scary crazy. especially when you like start thinking about those simple things like just uh, making a lighter uh, create a flame yeah it's pretty simple motor uh movement right and yeah. uh to just not even be able to figure out how to how to get your lighter to to you know uh make fire is a pretty it's a that's a pretty hard one to to comprehend because it's just like man you got to be you just got to be in a battle well yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the case man. you can like, see that is crazy you can see how that i've never seen it that no bad. that's that's intense man I've, I've I've seen altitude sickness and I've had altitude sickness myself. Um, I've I've never seen it that bad. I've never had it that bad. Um, you could definitely yeah. see and, uh, yeah, how that crazy. could go downhill quickly. It you know because if you can't like figure out how to make a lighter work, you know you could see yourself if you're in that state of mind like being like oh I'll be fine you know I'll just sleep it off and that's how you know that's how things that's how you end up you know not ever leaving was, that mountain <laughs> yeah it was really difficult in my own head because when you're not and then when you're not obviously i wasn't thinking correctly but i kept like telling myself i kept going back and forth in my head am, am i creating this am i just am i just mm. out of shape that i didn't think i was or was i not like w what is going on is this me do i just need to push through this and you know luckily having someone else there to kind of be able to see how I was responding, you know, by myself, it'd be more difficult to, even though that I knew what the, like, I, I felt like I was very prepared on understanding the symptoms of it and what to look out for. But when you're in that state of mind, it's so hard to, to make, you know, good decisions and be able to do those I mean, things on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your brain is literally lacking oxygen. Um, you know and it does not have the blood flow it needs um so yeah you're just you're gonna operate at a, such a slower level and that's but yeah that, that's crazy man um yeah so so you had 
I'm just I'm just curious because I'm sure a lot of guys um, that listen to your podcast would probably be like, man, this is really good info. This is really good tips. I'm thinking about doing the same thing. So maybe here's some ways I can uh, prevent what happened to Bo happening to me, right? So they're gonna like that uh, um, that medication. Yeah, um, I, I, that's probably a great idea. So I'm assuming you were taking it, right? Or did you forget? Maybe. No, I was taking it, and it just it honestly for anybody else that wasn't sick going into it. I mean, that's a big thing going into it healthy and not having any sort yeah. of sinus related issues and things along those lines. That is right. Then you're setting yourself up for not doing so hot, you right. know. And but but by going to your doctor and talking about you know talking to them about what altitude you're going to explain in it haven't heard of anyone i've never experienced it where they won't write you a prescription for that to be able to to take it and i believe it was like three days before the before you got to altitude you started taking it slowly like in smaller dosage and once you got there you took more and so those are things that are are definitely you know help out and and also just being in being in good uh, physical conditioning helps. It's not right. going to be, yep. when you're training at say sea level or even a couple thousand feet, like that's not really going to help you completely, but it definitely, definitely will, will have a, a big impact yeah. there. So anything helps. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, I th- and I'm, 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 I think they do make uh, some of those vasodilators that are just over the counter too, right? Yeah, you can take a nitric oxide, just um, nitric oxide pills that um, people that will use for weightlifting or anything like those. That that will act in a, a similar a similar fashion. And another one they actually told me about if I couldn't get something that is, is Viagra. That's another one that <laughs> that'll work for it. You might have some side effects that I can't <laughs> I can't uh, I, I don't know if yeah. you want, but that's. That's also something else. You might be like coming off thing. the mountain for a different yeah. reason. Yeah. For a, for a four-hour four related reason. At least, yeah. at, uh, at least you don't have to bring your center pole for your tent. That's the good part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so there's, there's different it's things. It's a definition right there. <laughs> That's hilarious. But there's di- there's different things that you can that you can do to help prevent it. And I'm actually planning on – because when I, when I went to do this hunt, I, I had – as I mentioned a few times, I'd hired uh, a camera guy, Justin Mueller, to come film it, and I put together some films of my other Western hunts, and I was like, you know, this obviously derails the typical hunting film, but I was like, what I can turn this into is something that can help people learn from this experience, and so we did some uh, some different things as far as interviewing, you know, myself and what happened, my buddy that had a terrible experience, and I'm going to meet with a, a doctor that specializes in this stuff to explain what people can do and help along those things and how to, what's the, the right method and being able to, the, the biggest thing is being able to see and be able to understand when you are having issues and how to how to respond to that. Like for me, on any trip I go on, I always keep an emergency list of all the nearest hospitals, emergency contact things, and I keep that right in my first aid kit. And I also keep it downloaded offline in my phone in like a Google Docs. So I have all that stuff readily available that even if you aren't, you know, in the right frame of mind or you're not and you're out of service, like you need to find a hospital to get to, like everything's there pre-programmed, you know 
what your options are and how to kind of combat those things. And that's something I've learned just from planning these Western hunts is to, to really be prepared in any way that you can and have backup plans. Yeah. That, uh, that is very thorough. I, so yeah, I've only ever hunted out West and, uh, I have never thought to look at, I, I, yeah, I've never thought to look at where the nearest ER is beforehand and then, and then make, you know, put the address in my phone or anything like that. Um, I can't, and, and after you've said that, I can't believe that I haven't died yet. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, like that just like, it, it really just like occurred to me like, yeah, if something were to go really wrong um, and I needed help, I probably nine times out of 10 would have been SOL. Yeah. Well, and we're, we're kind of in the benefit, we have the benefit of, you know, having people and knowing, you know, a lot of the spots I hunt, I've grew up in this kind of area and I know all the all the towns and stuff like that but man if you're uh if you're coming from the east coast and you have no idea you know you see a town on the map and you're like oh maybe that has a hospital and it doesn't you know you could be sol there too no that town only has a thousand people <laughs> yeah. ryan you yeah could, you go to the po- post yeah. office they don't even have a grocery yeah. store yeah and, and you know and i never i never thought of that like where I live in the Appalachian Mountains in PA here, like I never did any of that stuff. But now I, you know, I don't need to write down the nearest hospital because I know where they're at and most of the places that I'm hunting and everything. But having that type of following along with those types of backup plans, I mean, by trade, so I am a safety professional in my day job. So like I, I yeah. have I learned this stuff and always kind of having contingencies for things, which has kind of helped me for planning that. Like that list that I have doesn't just have you know, hospitals and stuff on it. But I also have like, I'll have the nearest, you know, a meat processor. I'll have places where I can get ice. Where can I get food? Where can I get gas? The addresses, the times are open, the phone numbers. I have all that stuff listed there. And I print them out for everybody that goes hunting with me and, you know, kind of has those things. So it's just like when, when, when shit hits the fan, like, you know, what, what you need to do or where you need to go. And you, it just, keeps it takes the stress and anxiety off you when you already have options for those things that that's yeah. huge that 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 is such a logistical uh forethought right there like for you to be like okay ice processor just in case i was on a hunt in nevada and uh you know we there was like three hunters um you know hunting antelope uh, we we killed one and it was kind of, you know it was in the evening not super late we were just driving so um you know parked the car got out went after him shot him and now we're like okay we still have time to hunt um but like you know if we were to do the whole thing we're kind of running out of daylight you know um so trying to find that a processor in the nearby town which was very small um and uh you know, we, we just happened to know somebody who also knew somebody in that town. Um, so when we called them, they gave us the, the word. And luckily enough, this guy came and just opened it up for us and yeah. just said, like, yeah, put it, put your animal wherever. Um, we'll take care of it, you know, at, you know, just ha- hang it for now. We'll figure it out. But that, that, that's, I, I've heard a saying and I'm probably going to butcher it, but, uh, um, logistic logistics kills big bucks and um, I believe that's from and let me access my 
uh, brain database real fast and I'm probably gonna mess it up um, but that is from someone from rock slide and I don't know why I can't remember his is it name Robbie right now. Denning? it is Robbie Denning yeah, thank you a, that's a Robbie um, it's a Robbie thing right there yeah that's a Robbie Denning thing right yeah there. and, uh, and he, he kills big deer um, so I, I believe uh, him. he does <laughs> he does I, I got to speak with him a little bit um, over the summer and uh, see some photos of his and um, he kind of you know was giving a little presentation um, and I was just like that is so true logistics kills animals man um, and, and just to be able to be quick on your feet and, and know that kind of stuff I was like you know like where where is the processor so that way you can not waste time getting to one if you need yep. if you need it um, well, and, well, and that, that, that's crazy. I you see it a lot. I mean, I just know personally from, you know, buddies I, buddies I have that have come from out of state that, you know, and you see it all the time on, you know, back roads when you're out there, like, you know, guys in, you know, two wheel drive trucks that are on the side of the road because they got an un- unexpected September snowstorm or, or this or that. But it, it really does make a difference. It, difference and it's not i don't think is it's as much you know planning all that stuff is gonna guarantee you get a big buck but it's gonna allow you to have more time out in the field which is then in turn gonna give you more time to to find something and you know every second you waste having to go back into the town because you didn't bring you know insulated snow boots for a fourth season rifle hunt or you know you got to get a uh satellite messenger because you know you didn't have one and you're you're out of cell service where you didn't expect you were going to be out of cell service it's all just time that you could be out there glassing or hiking or doing all that stuff so i i think that's that's definitely something valuable that you know if you're hunting in state it's something where you're like oh you know like all the time i'm just like yeah yeah i'm just gonna go out this weekend and i'll you know i got my little camping box I'll throw that in my truck. I got everything in there. But if you're going across the country to some spot that you have no idea where anything is and what the conditions are going to be like, it it can make a huge difference just in terms of being out there three days or being out there seven days. So, yeah. yeah. And and one of the things that that I I learned it from uh, a guy by the name of Mark Livesey. He's really big on putting together hunt plants. And that's where I've like incorporated a lot of these other things and built this into a hunt plan, which I feel like helps you so much as far as the actual success standpoint where I'll pick, you know, like five different areas that I'm looking at going to. And, you know, I have my priority A, B, C, D, and E. And then within that specific locations, how I'm going to access that and have all that stuff written out ahead of time so that, okay, you go there and there's, there's 30 cars at the trailhead and there's people everywhere. And you're not just like fumbling around to find a new spot to go to. Like you have all those things figured out. You know, you know where. The, like you're talking about. Like I, you know, I always have a, a vehicle list and what I need to bring with the tire chains and whatever else, depending on the season and where I'm going to yeah. and ways of recovery. Or if this happens, how is that gonna? And it sounds like a lot of work, and it can be. But once you kind of create a template for yourself it's not that hard and it it definitely alleviates a lot of struggles once you're out there and and you have those types of things the biggest thing for me is like exactly what you said ryan was just like the the time like the time that you save by having that stuff and not 
having to fumble around and go find things. Because, like, say butchers, for example, or just any sort of meat processors, a lot of times they're not on Google, like, mm-hmm. as far as having their, their business on Google Maps. So, like, you know, even, do, like, if I'm doing it ahead of time, obviously, a couple months ahead of time, I might even call a nearest grocery store and be like, hey, is there any meat processors in town? Or the taxidermist. There's a taxidermist in town. They typically know where there's a meat processor. And, like, things like that by getting it ahead of time otherwise it's it, it can be a lot of uh messing around while you're there yeah yeah well and i think that there's there's kind of two types of hunters out there there's the the people that want to get something and then there's the people that just want to go out right so there's the guys that are completely content with just going out sitting in the rv having the hunting camp having the wall tent and chilling and you know driving the roads and trying to see if they find something but and you might get lucky. You might have a big buck or a bull, or you know, if you're hunting cow, cow elk, one might walk by you. But if you really want to get something, you got to have all that stuff dialed in because it it really is a very. I mean, there's so many different factors that you gotta that you gotta put in. You know, like you gotta have the the different drainages picked out. And honestly, with like Onyx and stuff you can look at a spot and be like oh yeah you know that, that looks easy but so many times i've picked a spot on onyx and i'm like oh yeah that looks easy and you get up there and there's like a, you know a 15 <laughs> foot cliff that just makes the whole area inaccessible so it's yeah. you know you kind of got to decide if you are planning one of these trips what you want to get out of that hunt if you really want to get something then it i think it does take you know planning okay if this drainage has you know three tents in it three different camps how long is it going to take me to hike in and then find that out and then hike back out go to a different drainage or a different spot you got to have all that stuff planned out before you come out because you don't want to be wasting time you know looking at a map um you know while you're out there i mean so many guys spend so much money coming out west here and you know they get to their their plan a and they don't have a plan b and you know it's just a waste of two grand so I, I think uh, yeah. planning is such a huge aspect. Do you, you should be a freaking hunt planner, man. You, you gotta start selling that. Cause it sounds like you got it locked I, in. <laughs> it's funny, I had someone else uh, tell me that recently. Like you're just, it just cause I'm organized. Not that I, I claim to know much of anything as far as when it comes to these, these Western hunts. I'm just, I'm new to it, only doing it for five or six years five or six years now but from the planning side of things i definitely feel like i have that kind of stuff dialed in but i i did make a pretty pretty big mistake with this last hunt because i was so focused on mule deer i did have an elk tag but i was like i'm all in on mule deer elk tags just because i could get it sort of deal and focus so all my backup areas were at high elevations so like i didn't have any of those low ones there was like one area that i could hunt in the entire unit and when i went there there hadn't been an elk since like 1965 there i'm pretty sure but it was like it was uh, it was kind of it was kind of crazy and 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 i wasn't prepared to elk hunt eventually i i did start feeling better where i went a little bit above where i was supposed to and and got two good days of hunting at the end and end up getting within 60 yards of a bull um a nice bull that i couldn't get it like well I, I shouldn't say a nice bull i didn't see him but he was he had a whole herd of cows with him that he was pushing up the mountain and he was screaming through this thick timber there and and uh so that that made it made it uh fun at the end to, to at least be able to have that experience in the last couple of days but i just i wanted to mm. 
wanted to to stay stay out there that was for sure (laughs) yeah yeah so so bo um maybe you could break down uh kind of your i know you've kind of been doing it a little bit but if if you do have a maybe an order of operations when you um are planning a hunt out west here if you could break down that order that would be awesome yeah do you do you mean like as far as starting like how i'm choosing an area or more so like you have a hunt set like you're gonna do and how do you go about planning that process yeah so like let's let's say you're like okay i want to go out west and i want to hunt elk what what's your process from there till the time that you get out here yeah so at that point i'm trying to figure out one what my goals are what do i want out of this am i looking to just hunt elk am i looking for that sort of experience or am i looking at something you know somewhere where i have better odds which usually that's you know kind of uh i i'm not i'm not focused on as far as like okay i want to find a trophy area for me at this point in, in my western hunting career i want to find opportunity and where i'm going to have the best chances at that so when I'm looking, so I'm looking for areas, um, you know, using online resources, going through, you know, whether that's on Go Hunt or that's um, through certain forums. Like Rockslide's one of the ones that I feel like is really good to get information off of. And I start doing some research and and learning about the tag systems in these different states and figuring out what those opportunities look like. You know, is that something I need to? spend a couple years of applying at or is this something I can hunt over the counter if I'm trying to plan it this year so that's kind of how I look at the different areas and figure out where I want to go and and then once I say I have a state picked out or a general area I really start diving into you know the numbers say the elk numbers um bull to cow ratio is one that I've focused on quite a bit um draw uh, rifle seasons like if I'm hunting archery I like when they have um, the rifle tags that you have to draw. It seems that the elk numbers are a little bit better in those types of areas. And focusing in and then starting into kind of the the e-scouting. So once I've obtained the tag, how I'm going to go about and and find an area. And then then this goes back again to my goals. Do Do I want that experience of like a backpack style hunt or am I just, I just wanna, you know, kill an elk. And for me, I've found that if I'm trying to just kill an elk, I like to hunt from the vehicle as far as like camp every night and be able to be mobile and hike in and hit different areas. That doesn't mean I'm driving the roads all the time looking from the vehicle. It just means that I can be more mobile than if I pack, you know, five, six miles into an area and then I'm kind of stuck there for a couple of days if there's no elk to find. So I like to, to look for areas I like to look for areas like that that say can't you can't it's not deep enough where the backpackers are going to be in but there's still enough ground that the people hunting from the road system might not be in there those kind of sweet spots that you find has been just like a happy happy medium yeah and that's it's just kind of because i I started off with the whole i just wanted a backpack hunt and i I love that but it for i realized as a new western hunter that was definitely not the way i was going to be the most successful um to to get those experiences so i've that's that's kind of the route that i've taken is more being mobile and just trying to get as many opportunities that i can to screw it up and then hopefully one of them come together yeah so so two things real quick bo um i want to take a step back 
<clears throat> you said you like to look at cow-calf ratios, and I know this is a big step back, but I think a lot of people hear that kind of stuff. Cow-bull ratio. Go, or what did I yeah. say, cow-calf? Yeah. Uh, yeah, cow-bull-cow cow, ratios. Um, you you know, people hear that and they go, well, what's a good bull-cow ratio? So what are, you, what are you looking for? What's the magic number? Yeah, so I, I like to see them above 30. 30 to, a, you know, 30 bulls to 100 cows is kind of what I look at. And if I'm getting closer to 40, I'm really feeling feeling good about that. Um, and then if you mix that in with the with the limited draw rifle yep. tags, then you're like chomping at the bit. And then once you see other and, things that might tantalize you, you're like, okay, yeah. this is the spot, huh? And okay. I used to I used right, to yeah. pay attention to harvest success rates, and I don't as much yep. anymore because. One thing I've, I've realized is sometimes that can be inflated in areas that have outfitters um, versus what that is. And that also is like one of the number one things I feel like people look at when they are doing the research to go into a, an area, an out of state, usually an out of state person, I, I would say is that looking at that harvest success rates in those areas tend to, to get pounded and, and they might be influenced a little bit more with, uh, again, with the outfitters that are in those specific yeah. areas. So yeah, I look at it, but it's not like the biggest deciding factor to me is the bull to cow ratio and understanding how access works in the area and and all of those other things that I had kind of mentioned, yeah. mentioned there. Yeah. Well, and here's another thing about harvest stats is like in a state like Colorado, harvest, you don't have to report your harvest for like elk and deer. It's, it's mostly just from, comes from checkpoints and stuff like that. So you know there could be well they they send you a survey every year that that you can you it's yeah. optional that you can take i'm sure you know everyone if anyone's hunted here that they get an email from cpw in you know in colorado specifically they get an email from cpw fwp whatever asking for the information but how many guys are just like giving out their they're like i'm sure i got it yeah i mean i try to partake in it as much as possible because i'm sure that that to at some point helps set um tag numbers and stuff like that um so i want that information to be accurate because i don't want places to get over hunted you know just in terms of elk numbers but um you know I'm, i'm wondering like i've definitely missed those surveys where like you're going through an email or mm-hmm. something and you're like oh i missed that forgot to take that yeah yeah oops you know or like some and then like you said right <laughs> some guys might be like heck no i'm not sharing that yep. information no <laughs> way am i saying that i just killed a bull in this unit and you know like they're not going to do that but um I haven't killed an elk yeah that, that information is probably pretty skewed i feel like and I'm, i don't know how much yeah. i trust it yeah yeah yeah, so you get, I like to take that information with a grain of salt. You know, use it as a little bit, of, but understand that it's not definitely not a foolproof yeah. um, method when it comes down to it. And you know, then, then like I said, I'm starting to look at at the maps and try to figure out, you know, what are some areas I can get into, I can cover, you know, <laughs> say 10, 12 miles in a day, be able to have the best way of accessing those places so that I can either find sign, find elk or not, you know, and be able to kind of move along if that's not the, if that's not the, the situation there. So that's, that's kind of the way I've looked at, at that portion of it. Yeah. Sweet. Well, and I think, I'm, um, oh, go ahead, Lee. Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> um, well, let, let me, let me finish, yeah, yeah. let me finish my, uh, cause I had yeah. two things. Oh, so okay. we're going to fast forward. 
we're going to fast forward to where Bo just left off when he talked about maybe the backpack style hunt isn't um, always the, the go-to. Um, you know, I, I think that's pretty important because a lot of guys see um, a lot, you know, other guys packing in long ways and they're and killing big animals and they're like man that's so awesome i want to do that and like your goal setting thing that you're just talking about they need to realize that like hold on that's not your goal right you you said your goal was to kill an elk so if you just are off to the races you know year one of hunting elk and you just backpack in seven miles into an area that may or may not hold elk because you don't necessarily know uh elk terrain maybe as good as you should um and you've backpacked in and killed yourself and now you can't come out and go somewhere else like i think i think that's a big thing is a big trap that guys fall into um and maybe Maybe you have some experience, Bo, of that. I know I have. I know I've definitely been influenced by the Instagram and have de- went on a hunt and been like, oh, I'm going to do it this way, and then just it didn't it didn't go quite right. Yeah. Yeah. I Oh, man. That's like <laughs> – it. that's exactly how my first time going out there was. Like, So literally, I'm actually wearing a shirt from – the guy had kind of got me into Western hunting. It's Cameron Haynes. I read – I read his book, Backcountry Bow Hunting, and it's a phenomenal book, and he teaches a lot of things in there. And I think people can have those goals of wanting to experience that because it's amazing. But for the first time, oh, yeah. me going out there, that wasn't, I don't think that was the right move um, to go ahead and do that. One, mountains are way bigger than I expected. Um, altitude was a little bit difficult to get used to at that point. And again, didn't know really much of anything as far as how elk behave and move through the, the mountains out there. So, you know, we backpacked in and it, it was, yeah, when someone says, you know, going in six, seven miles, that's a long freaking way. Like that's, that's a yeah. long way to get back in there. It's a haul. And, you know, we, we get set up and, and then, you're you know go from you go from your everyday society to being out there and if you haven't done it before it can definitely wear on you mentally physically mm-hmm. all of those different things and it's it's a grind to to learn those types of things like we we got in there and we found elk the the first day luckily um but then screwed up an opportunity and then went like four days but i was like so set on this area and already packed in there and even though the elk had moved out of there i was just you know staying yeah. in there for that those reasons and like you can get into doing a hunt like you can get into western hunting so much easier without having to necessarily say buy all of the gear for a backpack hunt up front you can start by slow you know buying stuff you would need that you can hunt from the truck with and then all of a sudden you're upgrading things and you can get yourself into that without having to spend what you know is a as a giant lump sum of money to be able to go and and do these these types of things i just found that like you know the truck camping takes less gear than it does for the backpacking part of it again that's that's as you're getting started out um from that like i i love backpack hunting i love that style i think it's i think it's fun it's a whole different experience but it if it's your first time ever doing it um i don't know if that's uh, necessarily the the right move it can that can be debated <laughs> yeah. yeah 
totally. Everyone's on their yeah. own journey. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I, I've I talked to a guy, just got into elk hunting, and uh, we we were we were hiking um, to do this like little scout thing, right? Um, and uh, we we were, we ended up missing each other at an outfitter that I was shooting photos for um, by like a week. He and and we this is in Montana, like in the outfitters in Colorado. Um, and so it was just like by happenstance that we ran into each other on this hike. And, uh, he said, you know, it was my first time hunting elk. And I said, I want to learn it. Um, you know, I want to learn it the right way. I want to make sure that if I kill an animal, I know what the heck to do with it. Cause if you kill a big bull, you're in for what could be a long night, you know, um, you know, especially if you're by yourself, um, trying to roll that thing over. With it, you know, if you're lucky enough to kill a big six point, trying to roll that thing over, or you know, manipulate the animal to then get quarters off, or do whatever you got to do, um, can be difficult. And he was like, "I want to, I want to know how to do that." And so he went to an outfitter. This is my first time, um, and he killed, uh, he killed a nice bull, and and the and he said, "I, I asked the outfitter to show me." and then did it and then asked the outfit to show me and he was just super honest about the entire thing and i was like i feel like more guys and gals if they're like adult onset hunters should do that they uh, there's there's no shame in going to someone who is a professional like an outfitter or guide whatever you want to call them they're interchangeable and saying i want to do this please help me or you know going to your buddy's dad and saying I want to do this. Please help me, because everyone's on their own, like their own little elk hunting journey, or whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, you know, and I, I think that's super important. So you don't always have to do the the hardcore thing right off the bat. Yeah. And walk before you run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think yeah. that's an important thing to bring up because, you know, there, with all the podcasts out there, all the media out there on hunting, it seems like a lot of them focus on. <clears throat> you know spots to go right like okay make sure you hike in three miles and you know get three miles from a road and then you go up this drainage and try to get as steep and deep as possible but nobody nobody really talks about the little nuances in in getting an elk like you know nobody tells you that like okay if you're if you're solo and you get an elk make sure that you have some some strong paracord to be able to you know maneuver uh an elk's leg around a tree so that you can have room to skin and and do all this stuff or and nobody tells you nobody really tells you and it's hard to comprehend unless you've done it but nobody tells you how hard some of these places can be to get in three miles right it's like okay you look at a map and you're like all right three miles you know 1500 feet of elevation or whatever or it could be 3000 feet of elevation nobody tells you that's that's difficult especially if it's your first time out there um and i saw this last year with with a few of my buddies that i took out who are from out of state elk hunting you know we hiked in three miles it wasn't a it wasn't a super hard hike but we had a it was a it was a decent first day for for me you know because i'm used to hiking up mountains and i'm i'm acclimated to the elevation and all that stuff but <clears throat> a lot of like a few of the guys that i went with burnt their second day out there because we went too hard the first day and nobody nobody kind of 
tells you all the little nuances like that like okay make sure that you have a, a tarp for for cooling your meat under if it's 80 degrees when you're out archery hunting or anything like that so i think that's something that's that's super valuable for people to learn and if you do have a connection with somebody that's like experienced and also patient to be able to like give you all those little little tiny details that not a lot of people think of that i mean that can be valuable much more than listening to a podcast about where to find out because here's the thing about a lot of these western states right you could there's there's elk like especially in colorado like there's elk everywhere in the mountains you know there like if you go to any mountain range here there's going to be elk now the numbers i guarantee i guarantee you and uh May, there might be some right now. There, I'm bet you there's elk right oh, up yeah. on me. Yeah, like right, at, right out here, and it's at uh, seven thousand yeah. feet. Yeah, yeah, right off. That's the a, I always tell you know? myself. And if, and hey, if you could Lee, catch them on BLM, you can go ahead and shoot Lee, one. Why didn't you help me with that when I was when I couldn't go above eight thousand feet? You should have said, "Hey, I got <laughs> some right out here." <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't think they were this low yet. They were they were still up high. Oh, but like right, right now, um, <laughs> my father-in-law just just said the other day. Man, elk were crossing the river, the Colorado River. Yeah. They're they're in the bottom of the valley, crossing the river, just chilling, going from hayfield to hayfield, not having a care in the world. Maybe one of them will get shot by the by a landowner, but they're they're every where they are, yeah. where they are, and yeah. they're everywhere. And no, it's I, just I, kind of like, I, you know, I think that is such a valuable thing what you said there, Ryan. Like I think about it. So in my world, like what I do most of the time is I whitetail hunt in the Appalachian Mountains here, and and that's what like a, a lot of my stuff has been built around. But like right now, this time of year when it's getting into the heart of whitetail hunting season, I get so many messages from people that send me maps and be like, "Hey, can you help me like how to figure out like this and and you know show me where you think the deer are gonna be?" And it's like if you spent more time learning how how they work and learning your area that you're hunting just a specific area and learning that entire thing you're gonna find deer mm -hmm. you're gonna find and that stuff but learning the basics of that is so much more valuable than someone you know telling you this is to go find the the best um hunting area or hunting spot i i know i heard it i don't know if i heard it on a podcast or i read it but um, it was Dustin Rowe. Um, he's a um, uh, sheep guide up in up in uh, yeah. somewhere in Canada. I can't think of off the top of my head right now. Super successful, and he talked about how he does very well. It's a is it Arctic Red? It's not Arctic Red, is it? No, I don't think so. I would know it if he said his outfitter, but he he is uh, he was has a lot of success in very low percentage units and we're not supposed to be you know big sheep and all this stuff I'm like how do you do that he's like well if there's a quota for sheep that means that there's sheep there mm -hmm. you just gotta depends on how hard you want to work to find them and and do that and i think that that really helped me because i was one of those people that was like so like taking in so much information on trying to find out where and i should have been focusing more on the how more than the the where for some of those different things and yeah. You know, I think I think everyone kind of goes through those phases as you're learning something new, and and but I, th I think that was a really valuable point that you brought up there. Yeah, well, and um, just just for people who might have uh, been interested, Dustin Rowe is um, the owner and operator of Backcountry BC and mm, Beyond. That's it, Backcountry BC. Nice. 
Yep. Um, and they and they do a cool little uh, day in the life deal on YouTube. If you're like into into super awesome um, British Columbia backcountry hunting, um, just a little plug there. I enjoy it, so I, I yeah. thought other people might. Yeah, they're badasses um, for sure. Oh yeah, I'll have to check them out. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think Ryan. I don't know where you're going with this, but uh, or where you're going to go next. I really want to touch. I really want to touch on what you do with whitetail where, where you live and how you hunt them because it seems like you hunt them a little bit differently i haven't hunted whitetail much um mostly just done it in montana which is a little differently i'm doing it mostly in river bottoms seems like you hunt them a little differently however i don't want to get away from kind of where we left your your planning yeah but let, let's go back let's go back to that whitetail thing but after we finish the planning because i think if we don't, a lot of guys and gals would be like, you've done us a disservice. We don't know where he goes. <laughs> we need a part two or something. So let's well, I can, that. hold on. Yeah. I can maybe rope this together. Cause I was, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, we've covered the, the East to West thing. What about like, what would be a solid plan for somebody that wants to go from West to East? What, what, what would you recommend for somebody? We're going to yeah, reverse, reverse it on you. Pull the Uno card. Yeah, let's see if you can answer this one, Bo. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you know what's funny? I don't think I've ever been asked that question from that sort of way as far as being able to plan. But it, it's basically the same concept, just in a different different kind of mentality there. But, like, there's it depends on, again, what your goals are and where you want to hunt. Because for, like, whitetails and stuff in the east, there are so many di- – whitetails live in so many different places. You know, like you said, the river bottoms in Montana is so different – in the whitetails that I hunt in the Appalachian Mountains, where it's like kind of a cross between hunting whitetails and Western hunting, so to speak. But don't worry, I won't go too far down that road. I'll stay on track with uh, the planning portion of it. But you know, then there's the you can hunt them in swamps. You can hunt them in your typical farm type country that you find in the Midwest. So by understanding what those kind of goals are for you, um, will help. Like if you want more of an adventure style hunt like going to the Appalachian range. So that could be North Carolina, Tennessee, West Virginia, some Southern Ohio, Eastern Kentucky, Pennsylvania. Um, I said Virginia, New York, New Hampshire, Vermont, or not really, yeah, a little bit of Vermont, Maine. Those places have some really cool adventure style hunts that you can go on and you can make them backpack hunts. I've done backpack white, whitetail hunts. You can do it where you're setting up camp, you know, at a remote place and, you know, hiking in a ways and and getting into. So, like, understanding what you want out of it is by far the biggest first step in in any of that. Because, like, if you look on paper in most of the places I hunt, they look terrible. Pennsylvania is not known for hunting quality deer. Essentially, they have the most hunters than any other state. I I don't think Texas might be close, but there's more hunters in pennsylvania than anywhere so it's high pressure type places but when you find locations that you can get away for me that's what i want and i've found that you can have the same type of quality of hunt that you can in some of the well better well-known places um by finding areas that you can kind of get away and it doesn't always mean you know hiking in you know three miles or so into a remote spot it just might be staying away from population centers and and places so like when i'm looking at whitetails the biggest thing i'm looking at over 
deer numbers and deer quality and all those things is I know I can find whitetails here. I'm looking for something that's going to hold kind of the age structure I'm looking at and looking for the type of experience of hunt. And that's traditionally usually within at least a couple hours away from any major population center. A good rule of thumb is an hour um, that kind of keeps the weekend warriors from driving out to those types of places. Um, but also just gives you a little bit more of that remote type of experience so when i'm if i were to tell somebody like one of you guys if you wanted to come out east to do a, a whitetail hunt understanding what you want out of it yeah. and everything would be kind of the the first step you want to do it ryan uh, i think both me oh. and lee want to do it really oh yeah, yeah. after ap- after this whole thing is after we've stopped recording uh <laughs> i plan on keeping you on or at least uh um, making sure uh, we exchange phone numbers, and I want to give you a call because I've got a I've got a trip that I've been scheming for the last like four years now, oh. and I, I'm just not I I don't have I don't know if I've got all the bills and and, and I don't know if I have have all the information right, and so we're gonna have to talk. We'll we'll head it off. I'm gonna need we'll, your we'll I'm gonna it. need your consultation. All right, all right, all right. I'll ch- I'll charge you just a just a little fee. Yeah, it's thousand not be thousand bucks. Major. Yeah, but. I doubt you yeah, even need a two hundred dollars an hour. I doubt you'll need to go to the bank for a loan. Like it'll be fine. We'll work. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm joking, but I'm no. I need you to build me a hunt plan. <laughs> no, it's, I'm gonna send you like five maps. Man, there's there's <laughs> so many uh, there's so many experience that we have, you know, inside that Appalachian range, and I, or if you're from south of Mason Dixon, it's Appalachian. I go back and forth with people on that. But there's so much good hunting and experiences there. It's um, I don't know. It's 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 not talked about a lot. I've tried to bring some light on it because I think it is so great. It's definitely not like it's definitely not a high opportunity whitetail hunt like you would find somewhere in the Midwest where deer numbers are really high. But if you like a sense of adventure mixed with that, it can be it can be a really phenomenal experience yeah yeah that's that's awesome what what are uh what are some of the more i mean you don't have to give away your spots or anything like that but if if someone were planning a hunt uh maybe i shouldn't even ask this question because if somebody asked it about colorado i'd be like get out of here man (laughs) but what are what are some good uh like if you had to pick one state for a guy guy like me who's never hunted whitetail uh, who wants to have an adventure-filled whitetail hunt, you know, have the opportunity to either backpack in or just car camp and, and base camp out of there. What would what would be a, maybe your top three states for that out east there? Hmm, that is a, that is a, that's a difficult question. So, like, I would say for the best, like, deer hunting experience, you Ohio would probably be it there's a lot of you don't think ohio has a mixture of like straight flat farm fields and then some more uh mountainous type terrain in the some of the southern areas of the state some really good experiences there i was just south of uh of uh, cleveland Mm -hmm. uh, not too long ago and some of the woods out there looked phenomenal i just remember like looking around being like oh my gosh i feel like we could just walk into any patch of timber and kill a big white tail but i might be wrong because i'm yeah you know i just ohio's a magical state though like that's 
coming from Pennsylvania, like I think there's there's a lot if you want like pure remoteness, uh, uh, Pennsylvania, New York, um, parts of Virginia and stuff really have some amazing opportunities from that. But in my four or five years of hunting Ohio, it's uh, if you have a short amount of time, it's a lot you have a lot of higher odds in a place like that. Um, it is that's no secret to a lot of whitetail hunters. People know Ohio is it's tough hunting. But it you if you work for it, you can have some really, really good experiences there. Um, as far as remoteness, I mean, like I said, Pennsylvania has some great experiences, and they've done a really good job managing their deer in the, in the last, like, I'd say almost 20 years now. They had some antler point restrictions they put in, um, some other things that helped with the age structure. They're doing a great job with managing their, their timber in the forest and, you know, having foresters figure out what the age is, how to manage it. And as far as logging, coming in and doing those things, so you have new growth mixed with old growth. There's so many different uh, things there. So that's, that's why I've really come to love Pennsylvania. Is Pennsylvania doing like that, uh, I don't know if there's necessarily like a, a certain program that's like behind it, but uh, kind of like a, a, a private land regenerative kind of. Like a QDMA type thing? Yeah. Like a quality kind of, deer yeah. management. Like, um, yeah, like, like they're working with private land, you know, private landowners to, to help kind of educate them on maybe, you know, what, what their impact is and then give them some options on, on what they can do to maybe change it, help it, you know, do that kind of deal. Yeah, so I don't know if the state itself is, but I know um, now the National Deer uh, Association, formerly the QDMA, the Quality Deer Management Association, does a lot of work with private landowners, you know, having them learn about how how it can not just, you know, when, when people think of deer management, they think of, oh, you're just trying to, you know, grow trophy bucks or whatever, when that's, you know that can be the outcome of it but that's not the main purpose behind it and with the health of the herds and what by having those different age structures how that can help and it goes down to the timber management and the you know the the species of vegetation and stuff that you have living on habitat on the just the habitat exactly um yeah. like when i I'm, love habitat man when i'm looking love, that's the biggest thing it. for me in whitetails i'm looking for an area is i'm looking for an area that's habitat diverse when you're looking at that aerial map i'm looking for changes i'm <laughs> looking for a mixture of habitat and then if it's got some elevation and some different things that change through that bingo that's like all right that that elevation is going to keep people out for the most part you guys would be like <laughs> that's perfect that's you know i'm used to hiking up mountains, john right up there you know so to speak which i will warn you it seems like it's easier because they're not as high but a lot of the areas are just as steep and they're covered in oak leaves which makes them slipperier in hell trying to climb up some of good those those places but it uh good to know those things when i find an area that's habitat diverse the deer numbers are typically higher they're healthier uh the age structures seems to be better like that is i i just I just wrote um, an article for Meat Eater that just went out that had to do with habitat diversity. And I'm just, I just had on my podcast, I had a forester on to talk about, um, you know, how they manage large tracts of private land um, that not only help 
them as foresters and the timber harvest and all those things, but how that helps the deer and other animals and, and species that live throughout it. So I, I, I've learned to, to kind of geek out on that stuff as I want to learn more about where these deer live. And that's, and I, man, I gotta kind of admit, I, I, I fanboy over your Instagram a little bit because you do so much talking about the habitat in these places. Like I, I see you all the time talking about ridges and then like, like what kind of uh, vegetation you're looking for that kind of, you know, comes up to these ridges. Um, I mean, that's one really specific example, Yeah. but what, but you do a lot more talking about it. Um, for, for those listening, you do a lot more talking about it and, uh, and again, I geek out on it too. Um, me and my buddy have a saying like, man, that's some good habitat. Yeah, that's good habitat right there. Man. Yeah, look at that habitat over there when we're driving. You know, look at that habitat. serious habitat over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I and I think that's that's uh, with whatever you're hunting. That's probably. I mean, that is really yeah. important. Not probably. It is really important. Um, like going back. Like if you are planting that western elk hunt, habitat's a huge huge thing. Yeah. Um, you probably have some elk habitat. Um, don't want to have non elk habitat. Um, and, and the same thing if you're hunting whitetail, you want to have whitetail habitat, and uh, they're going to differ uh, just based on geography. Like, to be honest with you, if I hadn't been following you, I wouldn't really know what to look for if I ever went out east. Yeah. Just, I, I would just kind of pick a spot well, on the map. Yeah. So what right I'll there. tell you back to the whole west versus east thing again, that kind of ties into that. There are so many similarities that I've learned from you know hunting elk and talking to people that are successful elk hunters. Habitat diversity is big there too. Oh, yeah. Edges are a big, big thing, and it's the same thing. With hey man, you tips. are a Mark Livesey fan. Holy yeah, crap! I, it is. If, yeah. it, just make your voice a little bit more raspy and say edges for me. <laughs> yeah, I just, don't know if I can do. I can't edges. Do more. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I can't do, I'm sorry, Mark. I'm. I'm I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't even try to he, make you up, been, or else I'm just going to. He's been trying to talk me silly. into doing an e scouting course for mountain whitetails and doing that yeah. similar because I geek out on the stuff he takes to the level of things and. I do similar he, stuff, and he goes he above is, and beyond. Yeah, he. I mean, he is just so intelligent um, in terms of just like putting all the puzzle pieces together. I mean, it is. It's a. It's a puzzle, right? Um, in terms of like logistics, whether you're going to need chains or not, habitat, uh, time of year, weapon, whether you're prepared or not physically with your weapon. Uh, you know, it's. Whether you got your relationship and, and home at order, uh, I'm talking about Randy Newberg, he's a great marriage counselor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, um, all that stuff is a puzzle, man, and, and uh, he puts he puts a lot of it together. Um, and that's when you said edges, man. I was like, gosh, dang, he he does really probably lives and die, dies by Mark's uh, by Mark's gospel. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it was funny is like. So my dad had taught me that stuff, like growing up of those things. And, you know, like I've listened to it, I've heard it, I've kind of lived it, but until like going through, like talking, getting to know Mark really well and stuff. And like the way he just drives those things in, I'm like, it makes so much sense. And it's a lot of the similar, you know, type stuff that we're dealing with in the East and really goes for any sort of hunting, um, you know, with elk, deer and those types of uh, those types of animals, but I, I've just been a huge proponent. One of my own personal goals is learning the forest better and understanding the different plant species. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just pay attention when I watch deer, 
of when they're just feeding on what seems just like random stuff. Why are they feeding on that? What are they doing? I've got this app on my phone now that take a picture of it and it tells me what plant or tree that it is. Um, yep. Called- yeah, my father-in-law just had that. Really? We were literally just talking about it. Yeah, and uh, and uh, he's he, man, you'd think he's like a, like a hippie naturalist guy because he's just running around taking pictures of plants all the time, yeah. trying to figure out what they are. But uh, not that that's a bad thing, but you just think he is one. Um, yeah. Um, you know, running around taking pictures of plants, and people probably think he might be a little crazy. But yeah, that's that's that's. I'm right there with you. It's trying it's, to figure out what it all what it all is and how it all plays into it. Yeah, because I've learned that like I can see. I'm like, oh, deer love eating that grass and that and that swampy area, you know. And I've known that, but I'm like, I didn't know what it was, so to speak. And and I was I took classes in high school where I had identified all these different leaves and plant species and trees and stuff and and then i kind of lost all of it and uh you know i'm trying to gain some of that information back and and being a student of the woods and trying to be a better woodsman from that that perspective and my goal my goal is to hunt more areas in the northeast um i just actually today my new york license came in the mail so i'm gonna hunt new york has some really wild places that you can go to um they have the adirondacks that's just big wilderness Mm -hmm. areas and 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 may end up if i get some time to go up to new hampshire with a buddy of mine to track deer when they get snow so just trying to get on a track and follow them um you know later in the season and i want to experience more of these these types of places that we have that we have out here and 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 do that there's there's some areas in, in pennsylvania like i said that i've done some backpack hunts into that can be fun kind of cold wet you know late season type um ordeals and i've always packed in the cimarron tent and i'll throw the stove in there and and uh yeah it's it it makes it pretty makes a little um, bit more comfortable yeah makes it a lot better too when it's uh colder weather i don't need to bring the the nest because i'm you know typically early season i'm worried about snakes i actually snakes snakes don't bother me as much as the spiders do Believe it or not, I'd kiss a rattlesnake before I looked at a spider. It's just not, <laughs> not my thing. Um, but uh, so in those late season hunts, I bring that stove and just yeah, I love it. Um, so that's Bo, awesome. um, that that's a good transition. What uh, what would be some of the key gear items uh, if someone were to come from out west here uh, and wanted to hunt whitetails out east there? What would you recommend for for gear? Aside from like the typical uh, like clothing stuff like that, yeah, um, some some different things is the, depending on what style of hunt hunting you want to do. If you're trying to do like what I'm I'm doing a lot of the mobile type hunting is what they call it in the, in the whitetail world. So you're coming in, you're coming out, whether you're going in a tree or hunting from the ground. If you're going in a tree, I hunt out of a saddle. So are you guys familiar with saddles at all? Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So for anyone that's not familiar with it, it's basically looks like you have a diaper on or a rock climbing harness and you're tied to the tree from the front and you have a small little platform that your feet are on and it allows you to kind of swing around the tree with your bow or your rifle and be able to shoot 360 degrees out of the tree. So like for me, uh, it's one of my staple gear items is having uh, a saddle and lightweight climbing sticks that go in my entire setup with my saddle, my platform, and four climbing sticks weighs like seven and a half pounds. 
it weighs like next to next to nothing um that's been modified over the years i started with a climbing tree stand that was steel that weighed about 27 pounds and it was like yeah you'd be carrying that in with all of your other gear you know that wasn't just through going through all the stick brush you got this big tree stand and you're hitting off of things and you're loud and you're clanging and so that's been something that's evolved for me um is being able to utilize that type of uh, uh equipment and allows you to be able to pick up mm -hmm. and move from tree to tree yeah. really easily you're... on public land out there are you able to leave that in the tree it depends like on stand? it depends on the state um like in pennsylvania okay. you can you you have to have a your name tag on it you have to have mm -hmm. your name tag mm -hmm. with um your like your, phone your c yeah your phone number your cid number it might be your address too i don't even leave anything out anymore they used to that that was just a new in the last three and i'm like i don't want someone to find it and see my name and where i'm hunting at so i was like i'm just not leaving anything yeah. out but uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it uh so anyways like they have certain things you have to have on them but you're allowed having say the stands out from two weeks before the season until two weeks after the last season so basically from yeah. like middle of september through the end of january you can leave your stuff out as long as you're you know have your the right information mm -hmm. on it and every state's a little bit different um and sometimes it even comes down to the specific public land piece on what you're allowed and what you're not allowed to yeah. to do with it um so yeah so that that's a that plays a big part in, in what you take and yeah. why you yeah. carry it around with you i'm sure um it's just, a, just yeah legality. well those tree saddles yeah. are are pretty easy to take down and and put up right yeah like my so the saddle that i have is made by a company called tethered and they i've gotten so i practice it like your gear like you do with anything like you're packing your bags for something you want it so like in the dark your eyes closed you can kind of know where things are at and be able to go through mm -hmm. it well that's the way i am with my saddle and i have like little pouches on the side that has all my climbing ropes and i have my trees so let me let me start from the beginning if i'm at the base of the tree and i'm going up i can get up and set up in like about seven minutes and that's from I have all my climbing sticks attached to the side of my saddle, my ropes. I throw my lineman's rope around the tree, and everyone's listening, so they can't see my hand movements. But you're throwing this lineman's rope around the tree and attaching to the other side of your belt loop, and so then you can work hands free. Mm. You're not worried about falling. You have you're able to, yeah. to safety. Yeah, safety it's, guy. It's the safety, safety guy, guy in me. But that's a saddle is super. Um, safe from that standpoint because you're always connected so you throw that around yeah. you put your first stick on the tree you strap that in I climb onto that I move my lineman's rope up then you pull the other one off your side and you keep repeating that step until you get to your desired height and then I have my saddle platform that's hung on the back of my but you've only got four sticks right? yeah yep and how many sticks you got four four sticks and they're about 18 inches long so you can gap them however long your legs will reach i don't typically hunt very high i hunt anywhere from 12 okay. 12 right. 12 to 18 feet um okay. where some people go a lot higher than that and you can you can still do that with four sticks if you have what they call an aider um that people will build you can either build them or buy them out of different climbing material it's basically rope that hangs down that you make little steps on it'll move back and forth so it's not as stable but it'll i i like to sometimes have an aider on the first step that's closest to the ground so if you feel wobbly you're not you know up in the tree when that's happening 
and you can get some extra height out of that for a little bit of weight. And so once I get hmm. up those sticks, then I'll pull my saddle platform that's hanging off the back of my saddle onto the tree, strap that in, put it down into place, climb on and make sure everything's secure. And then I pull my other belt out with what is called the tether. And you wrap that above your tree about forehead height and connect it to the front of your bridge, which is on the, the front of your saddle. And that's where you're like hanging like a rock climbing harness. Undo your lineman's rope and then that's how you're held at that point. And I have another strap because you can't on public land areas screw anything into a tree. So I have, um, mm. I just use like a black diamond um, um, strap that goes around it and I'm I'm losing uh, the thought in my head of what it's called, a daisy chain. Mm. So I daisy chain oh, things yep. through and I have carabiners hung off that I'll be able to hang. I have a little a carabiner that has a hook on it. It's actually made by Black Diamond as well that I hang my bow on the one side of the tree and then just a regular carabiner to hang my backpack off of the other side and you get fully set up and you're good to go. And with that saddle system, I mean, I, I sit dark to dark during the rut so i'm hunting you know 12 14 hours sitting in a tree but you can readjust i wear a knee pad so i can sit there and lean i can sit down and lean my knees against the tree and take a nap if i want to i can stand up you can turn around you can be in so many different ways as far as comfort goes for that for that standpoint that's man <laughs> this is, this is that, that's yeah very man important. that's like a yeah I, there's i don't think there are any podcasts that talk about west to east i you know yeah I, you, you I, sparked something in my head i was like man i i should be trying to get more of these western guys dude, to come out east I, yeah <laughs> um, i think that's a i think that's a good thing like because that not only like the if i'm ever go hunt whitetails and maybe i, I do employ that strategy that tactic but also i think it it, uh just kind of helps people's creativity um yeah you know if you if you guys follow uh stephen drake photo um stephen drake he's a photographer um he has recently been trying to hunt elk out of a tree stand um and it seems like it's working for him I, i haven't really followed it too closely i just know of it and it made me think man i found a tree stand one time when i was elk hunting and then I also found a head where they had like, you know, skull capped the, the antlers off, um, not too far from the tree stand. So he probably shot something from the tree stand and boop, 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 went down and then, you know, took, took his antlers, took his meat and hauled out of there. Um, maybe a tree stand and possibly a saddle could be in my future, especially if it's so light, like you're saying, Bo, um, and it's easy to do. Maybe if I just like kind of go out and practice or whatever, you know, like you said, learn how to use it in the dark. Um, and, you know, that might be something that a, a guy hunting elk or deer or bears, like guys hunting over wallows for trying to um, stick a bear with a bow. And I, I think that's a great yeah. option. Yeah. It's just kind of making my wheels turn. And uh, not just because it's uh, widely used by whitetailers, I don't necessarily think that it should be uh, ruled out by, you know, elk addicts, right? Yeah. No, and, and it's funny you say that because we were at, um, I was the the guys who make that saddle uh, tethered. They're a small company, but we were at the Total Archery Challenge, and they were just doing some of the Eastern events. I was like, 
all these Western hunting vendors and people were coming up and being like, man, these are so, you know, they're setting them like so lightweight for sitting over wallows. And I think, um, I think it was Eric Chesser from Hush killed an elk out of a saddle this year sitting over hmm. a wallow. Um, there you go. And like there's, and it's like, I think for the Western hunting world, like that would be incredible because like okay so like i said my system weighs seven pounds um and you can you can strip that down even more um if you'd want to to really be minimalist with it and you know a lot of times you can crawl up branches if you're in some sort of a conifer tree or whatever and then put your platform in and not care, need to carry four sticks so to speak maybe you need two of them or you need you know just or if it's such a steep hillside you're already kind of elevated a little bit you just need to get a little bit higher like there's, I, I don't know. I think it would be pretty incredible. The one, the one of the guys who's one of the part owners of the company, he's a big elk hunter, and this year it was his goal to kill one out of the saddle, and he backpacked the stuff in and everything, and uh, he ended up not, ended up not killing one, and he was in there for like seven days, and it was a spot that I sent him into, so it was probably my fault. But uh, I told him with, I told him wow. up front, like you don't, don't trust me. I'm just trying to help you out, but I, I don't want to take any liability. For that. <laughs> yeah. That's not, that's not great marketing for your uh, hunting yeah, consultation man. business. Yeah. Uh, he, I'm not going to tell you where maybe. to go. I'm going to tell you how to plan this. Uh, yeah, these things go there wrong. Go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes more sense. So, Bo, uh, we, you know, we've talked about the the saddle system that you're running at length, um, and I think. A lot of people are probably going to be looking into it. Um, what what else are you taking out um, on your you know Eastern whitetail adventures? So one of the most important things for me is having coffee and snacks. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. Then we'll get back to some of that serious mm-hmm. stuff. But I'm telling you, if you're sitting in a tree all day, I, I there's certain whitetail guys that are so big on scent. They're like, oh, I don't bring food and I don't. I just want to be there as long as possible. And for me, I need to be comfortable. I need to be generating body heat by eating food and drinking warm mm-hmm. coffee, hot coffee. Like that's, that's a, a big, big deal for me. Okay. So take Dude, them out of those yeah. really like uh, really loud baggage and put them in Ziplocs. That's uh, good for your, your food. Cause all the, well, all the foods um, kind of difficult there for hunters. Yeah. <laughs> Bo, didn't you, uh, didn't you go up, to that one place and uh forgive me because my i don't know i need to eat or something my mind's just not working i forgot robbie's name and i'm gonna forget this guy's name and where it was at but i'm pretty sure i saw you in a sitka thing yeah. where you went up to the quiet place and will you please kind of uh just real quick yeah that guy would not would not agree with what you just said right? yeah he didn't 100 so i went to jim holes uh place he's a just a legendary whitetail hunter from the bow zone in alberta which is an area that only allows uh, bow hunting and it gets down to like it gets down negative 30 negative 20 degrees during some of those archery seasons that you're sitting in a tree stand and um so i went up there to film with sika um it's funny i actually didn't know that they were putting together that film when i went there it was a, a testing for their fanatic whitetail gear um so there was super cold weather whitetail gear and and uh yeah i went up there and he jim is like jim and i hunt completely differently but i loved experiencing what he is super successful in the way he does things and there's no 
There's no blurring lines in what you do versus what he does. You literally sign a contract that you're going to do exactly what he says, and that's the way it is. You're not allowed water in the tree stand. What? You're not allowed food. You're not. No. He wants. So you're not drinking water for 14 hours? No. You no, but the, no, sun, but the sun's he, not up that long. No, and he won't let you sit in the tree all day because he believes that you oh. need to be completely focused and present. So you'll go sit for like four hours. And then you go back to the lodge and you eat this big meal that makes you want to go to sleep. And then you either take a nap or you shower again. And you can't have any of your clothes inside the cabin. So even though it's that cold out, I remember everything except for your underwear and socks is hung outside. So you have to put that cold stuff on before you go back oh, out. Oh God! And you have that that you have, miserable. You have a bot. You have a bottle, a Gatorade bottle that's wrapped in hockey tape, so it doesn't make any noise that you have to piss in essentially <laughs> that because you, you're not allowed to pee out of the tree and like I, I've seen systems where guys bury a canister in the ground and then they run a hose up the tree and pee in a hose and it runs into the canister that's buried in the ground yeah that's not for it's, me like when I whitetail hunt I, I go right out of the tree um, all the time like it's I I don't I don't believe in in, in but, that personally, and, but that's <laughs> it, up there. It's so yeah, it goes quiet, back to though. that. Uh, it's called the Quiet Place. It's, I think that's even more of that film was called the Quiet Place because it's it's more about the sound. Everything is so quiet that high up as far as in the hemisphere, and then it being like say that snow has like a like a layer of almost like crunch on it, you know, from um, as it was hardening and stuff. So any noise so like you'd hear a coyote running across this field or see a coyote running across this field at 200 yards and hear their footsteps like they were at 30 yards Jeez. so like there was it was a different type wow. of environment so there was there was other things that kind of came into play there but yeah he uh so after i spent my week at jim's place i came home and took as much food and <laughs> coffee and water and everything into the the tree as i as i possibly could Is, so, so that film's and, on youtube um, huh to where yeah yeah it's on, on sick of gears uh page if you look at their hunting films called the quiet place okay um you'll you'll see it um it's it's funny you, you get to see bo in his underwear <laughs> yeah sure. i am in my underwear at one point there oh, so man. if that's what you're into what Ryan, how lucky are we yeah we're <laughs> gonna get a lot of a lot of views driven to that uh to that that film there after this <laughs> people yeah. are gonna be like bo in his underwear Pff, count me in click <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but no, that, but no. I think that also plays into the um, everyone's on their own little little white tail yeah. journey too. Yeah. Um, he's got a, he's got his system figured out, right? Yeah, um, and he does and, super uh, well. And you seem to have your system figured out in yeah. Pennsylvania. I don't, so. I don't. Yeah, I yeah. I I've done it for a while. I don't want to have it figured out. I'm always tweaking things. But the other thing that looks like it, like from a white tail side of things that I do differently, and the people that where I hunt versus regular whitetail country is you know taking in a, a backpack that can pack out meat and game bags mm. like that's not thought of that's a western hunting thing um but yeah. i don't want to drag a deer um a mile let alone two miles in some of these places like where i killed my buck a couple weeks ago i was just under two miles from the truck and like with just the amount of trees and brush and all that stuff to drag that is just not not fun to be able to do and i'm like i can cut something i can cut it up right there pack it out and be able to and have all that work done um rather than get it out and how many trips does it? it 
Um, usually two. How many trips does it take? Just you? a half a two, deer two, per trip. Nor- <laughs> yeah, and like normally I'll have like if I get one down, I'll call say my dad or someone else that's a close friend that will meet me in there, so we'll we'll be able to come out, you know, in one load, um, sort of speak. But if I were to do it by myself, I do it in two loads. Yeah. So it's because whitetails yeah. aren't as big as obviously an elk or even a mule deer, yeah. so right, it's right. it's less um, from that standpoint. But yeah, so that's that's something that's different. Um, from from that perspective if i'm not hunting real far i don't always carry like a frame pack or um into the the woods with me sometimes i'll take a, a smaller day pack and but honestly we carry my saddle hunting gear for your snacks yeah yeah for my snacks really that's what it's funny i did like a gear yeah. um, day video is a gear video on my youtube channel of like breaking down what i carry and i didn't realize i apparently carry a lot of stuff compared to other people who are like holy cow like you have i'm like man if i'm staying there all day i'm going to be comfortable i'll carry the extra weight and de- and no and deal starving. and deal with it like i just for me that's a i like i got hand hand warmers body warmers that's another big gear item that that i like to your hands your feet you know, for for this type of hunting, when you're packing into these places, like you think of whitetail hunting, you think of rubber boots. Well, when you're hunting in somewhat mm. steep terrain stuff, that doesn't give you any ankle support. Your feet sweat like crazy. So if your feet sweat, by the time you get to your tree, you're already done because your feet are mm. cold throughout the day. Like yeah. it's always, yep. I feel like it was always like get heavy insulated rubber boots. Well, then they sweat so bad hiking in that they don't stay warm. So I wear either a lightly insulated or an uninsulated boot and I throw boot covers over top um, to and slip a body warmer in each of them. Mm. So once I get there, as my feet are hot, it just contains that heat in to be able to. So that's actually something that's a big uh, item for me to be able to sit up there for a while is, is do that where, you know. What are your boot covers? Um, like what are the, I, I've never heard of them. So the company uh, that made the ones I have have been out of business for like seven years and mine are like shot. So I don't know what I'm going to do. And there's like nothing else out there that, that has, has them there. Mine are literally like, um, a piece of fleece, like they're lightweight that slip over top mm. of your boot. They literally look like a slipper. Okay. And there's a sleeve inside that you put a body warmer in. There's companies like Arctic shield okay. and some other ones that make an insulated boot cover that go over, like go almost to the top of your boot that zip up and have the sleeve in there and they almost have like a reflective blanket material on the inside but they're super bulky and you don't need all that you just need something that can hold that heat in so when you put a body warmer inside it you know chemical uh body warmer inside there that it'll stay 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 good and keep your keep the the heat in there yeah if i were that's if if i were that's huge i can't believe i'm you know you know even saying this out loud because i haven't figured out how to make them yet but i really want to make um make one of those because there's nothing out there that seems to to be able to do that i just i haven't had the i don't have the the skill or the knowledge at this point how to make something uh, from that perspective but it's just i I need to make something at least for myself personally to be able to to do that so is it it, what because they make those down like booties type things is it something similar like that or are you saying that it goes inside of your your boot it goes on the outside, right? No, yeah. it goes on the okay. outside. Yeah, it's like like the down booties. I mean, I've looked at them, but they're not durable enough to hold up to like a platform of a like a saddle or a tree stand platform. You need something with a little bit of grip on the yeah. bottom that's durable uh, around the edges. Um, so that's where it kind of gets complicated 
I was actually just the other day I spent like an hour and a half on the internet trying to find something in a different industry to be able to work. I was looking at like even like mountain bike mountain bikers that do a lot of like winter type riding. They have like Gore-Tex covers that go over top of it. But you don't even need it to be waterproof. You just need something that's insulating that can hold in um, the body heat of your feet um, for that for that perspective. It, uh, this might you might have already looked at this. Um, but the North Face makes one with an actual like sole. Interesting. I don't know if I've if I've even uh, seen those ones. I'm gonna have to look that up. They're they're called the Thermoball Traction Bootsies. Really? So you can put bootsies on your feet, Bo. <laughs> I like having little bootsies on my feet too. So. Bootsies, uh, man, and, and it's like a men's it's like a men's product, and they call it bootsies. Uh, yeah, that's, anything that's, to go that's over probably the why I didn't find it. I probably saw that and I was like, mm, <laughs> I don't know if my out. friends are gonna like that. You know, <laughs> like, ah, no, can't can't buy anything with the name of Bootsies. Yeah, I'm, can't I'm buy actually, Glovesies. Oh, I'm looking them up right now. No way. Yeah, I just yeah, I just interesting. Google them. Um, there you go, man. Yeah, I wonder. I Western wonder Mountaineering also makes a makes a pair. That looks like they have some sort of uh, bottom. They're they're a lot more expensive than the North Face pair, but I don't. Do those? I wonder if those go over top your boots or not. I don't. I don't think they do. However, okay. maybe you could buy a size up or two. Yeah, I'm just or just anyway, take off looking your for something in the interim and throw totally. those on. Yeah. you know, because that would be another another haul, oh, man. Well, Depending I was gonna on, say yeah. you see me in my freaking yeah. bootsies. I I know that they make some <laughs> that are like for water protection that go over your boots. Like uh, my dad brought some up to Alaska. They're just they have like a sole. Mm. I, I don't know if they're insulated, but he just got them on Amazon for for cheap. But <clears throat> but it might be but it might be enough, yeah. if especially with a warmer in there that to hold in. Yeah, and and it, and it would and it would stop that like kind of a uh, con, what is it convective cooling? Yeah, um, yep. Convective cooling because you you know provide some wind protection mm. as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the same thing as like having uh, wind stopper in your clothing or something to be able to keep that yeah, exactly. that heat in rather than letting it letting it release. Yeah. Hmm. You have to guess. I should have went to the Western guys for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're solving we're so, we're solving all the world's problems um in terms of uh feet warmth hey that's right. that's a big yeah. thing man right now you get cold feet out there so it's, uh, it's not oh. you don't have long ryan if you just, got cold feet uh, out in the woods that's the one thing that'll froze bring me up. back to the truck real quick mm-hmm. nice smiling face there <laughs> yeah look <Uh-oh. laughs> oh yeah Oh, there he Ryan, is. Ryan, you oh. back with us? Can you get, could you guys not hear me? No, you said, yeah, that's, and then you oh, look really? like this whole time. Oh, man. Yeah, you, were, <laughs> yeah. you had a nice smile, but that was about it. Uh, <laughs> I thought you just stopped. I thought you just stopped, and you are like. No, I was saying that's like the having cold <laughs> feet is the one thing that can uh, can bring me back to the truck quicker than anything. Oh, my it's, God, yeah. It's actually uh, my, so I was hunting whitetails in Montana, um, in a river bottom, I had it tracked them back to this bed. Um, and I was like, okay, it looks, it seems to be like, to be like they're doing this loop. So anyways, I sit on the opposite side of their bed to where they would then come to finish their loop and hopefully bed down. I'm not a big whitetail guy. So that's, I just was like, yeah, this sounds like a good idea to me. 
Um, but I went back for lunch. I, w- I went out um, for lunch and then I was at home and my wife was like, hey, can I come out with you? And she doesn't do that often. So I was like, okay, I better take advantage of this and, you know, and, and give, you know, why if I say no, then she'll never want to go back out with me ever. Yeah. Um, so I said yes. Um, got her as much warm stuff as I could. Neglected her feet though. Um, and she had some rubber boots. She had some kind of thicker socks on. And I was like, it's okay because I'm going to put this sit pad underneath her feet to try to not let that that snow suck the heat out of her feet. Right? Yeah. Um, I wasn't doing it. I was wearing a pair of Schnee's pack boots. Um, and just the, the bottoms on that on that sit pad were super loud and squeaky. So I was like, I, I can't do it because I got to move around more, you know, to be able to position myself to draw my bow and shoot. Um, it was negative 11, I think. Oof. And, uh, yeah. So, one, she probably shouldn't have asked. She yeah, it's a bad day to, so to go out. Two, it's her fault. I, <laughs> I probably should have been like, hey, honey, I couldn't feel my hands when I got back to the truck this morning, and I had to, like, shove my fingers up in the in the car door handle and, like, use my body because I couldn't use my fingers. Dexter, uh, that's brutal. Um, and so, God, man, this is a long story. I'm long-winded today. Um, but anyways, her feet were freezing and they were hurting her so bad she was crying and um you know bless her heart she was trying to tough it out for me um and and her tears were freezing and she was trying to be quiet and i i just heard like a little sniff on a whimper <laughs> and i look over and uh i can see she is just not in a good way and uh yeah we i mean we came out an hour later yeah yeah, yeah. like it, it was that quick and uh and it probably took us 15 minutes to walk back to where we were going to, you know, sit. Yeah. Um, That'll do it, man. And then 15 minutes out. And so, yeah, like in, in, in 45 minutes to an hour, she was, you know, had had enough. And, uh, but no, yeah, the, and the, the feet thing is the biggest one. That and for me. your hands. And that's oh, yeah. how I always carry yeah, like, like, a, uh, like a hand muff that, that I also put hand warmers in from that perspective because i don't like when i'm archery hunting i don't want to wear thick gloves no. so if i have anything it's a thin glove Same here. with the fingers cut out on it so that i'm able to grip my mm-hmm. release and everything and other than that i just use um an insulated muff to be able to to do that because those two things are so big and and then really not it's not like the specific gear item like in it's just understanding how clothing layering works and understanding when you walk in a ways and western hunters understand this but like us as whitetail hunters that was something that was not taught as far as like all right you gotta hike in where you're like almost cold Mm -hmm. because you're gonna get warm by the time you're there and then capture that heat with you know putting on your insulating layers once Once you're stopped once you stop and so that's i always pack in all my clothes and just walk in super light and and once yeah. I get there, you know, try to capture that and don't, yeah, cause uh, yeah, there's just, there's so many things that just the biggest thing for me is I want to take in gear that's going to help me stay there longer, whether that's the food, whether that's the, the, the clothing, whether that's, totally. you know, yeah. uh, the, some of those other gear items we talked about. Cause for the whitetail hunting here, it's a, it's a game of, of spending time and being there when the opportunity does arise because there's there's chances where i'm at that like you don't see you can go three days without seeing a deer sometimes but 
when that opportunity comes, you got to be there. You got to so. be 100% ready. And just on that yep. whole. Yeah, but I mean, everything we've talked about ha- has had Western crossovers, right? Mm-hmm. Western hunting crossovers. It's all, it, yeah. I mean, it's really, you know, just different. Yeah, different Western and. Yeah. yeah, no. Sorry, Ryan. It's I mean, very similar. And I just wanted to say there's a mantra out there that not a lot of people know of, but it's stay cool to stay warm. And especially with clothing layers, if, if I can tell anything to anybody that's going to be hunting in cold weather it's get rid of anything that is cotton in your whole system because it will ruin your day yeah you'll end up sweating in it and then you'll you'll sit down for you know 15 minutes and then you'll try to stand back up and you can't because your whole under layer is a is an ice sheet so (laughs) definitely get rid of any cotton that is in your i mean i'm to the point where like not even my my underwear is cotton because it's just so bad so bad so Whoa, I know, not at all. Like, yeah, yeah. they were synthetic. The weather, or synthetic. Yeah, yeah. It's like hundred, hundred and ten percent. Like, I don't, I will never wear a pair of cotton socks in the woods again, like I used to. Your cotton underwear, not nothing. No. Not like I remember when I first started, like you know, getting performance apparel, and, and I'd still wear like a t-shirt, a cotton t-shirt underneath <laughs> everything. I'm like, well, I just screwed the entire system yeah. up. And like, yeah. it was funny because like my my dad is like one of the literally. One of the guys I look up to more than anything from, from a whitetail hunting standpoint, he's incredibly good, but he was he did it from a way of being tough rather than smart from the layering standpoint. Like he always had cotton stuff or you know, and didn't you know, and when I then once I, that was something I was able to teach him was what I had learned from that. Now he's like thinking this is you know He's like, wow, this is enjoyable. You mm-hmm. know? Like, yeah. I'm yeah. sitting there in yeah. the tree all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm warm. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, it's definitely important. Uh, well, Bo, yeah. well, thank you so much, man, for, for getting on the podcast here. We, we definitely really appreciate it. Um, I think there's, there's a lot to be gained from this podcast. It was a lot more interesting. That, yeah. This could almost be like split up into, into, two parts yeah so much yeah stuff. yeah i hope we i hope we don't cut no any of it out except for the one except part. for um <laughs> just that one, one part. part yeah yeah cut that out <laughs> no, cut that out too cut no, that, that out was, too. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you guys having me on it was fun it's fun to you know talk about the the differences and going back you know since we are from different parts of the u.s and kind of going I, I don't know there's there's a lot of crossover there and there's a lot of i think experiences you guys could have out here in the out here in the east as well as the eastern guys and girls going going out west so it's there's there's room for for all the activities yeah man well and next time if you get out to colorado again make sure to hit us up well i mean i'm always i I try to keep my septembers and octobers and novembers and decembers and januarys and februarys and march and april may all the way through turkey season open so just just, just say all yeah. 12 of them yeah just say all 12 of them. then you got to keep summer open for scouting so but no yeah that's what my girlfriend says to me when she's like cause, so we've been dating for almost two years now but like she's been through like one hunting season now she's on her second one and she's like like you know when we're planning things she's like when like when can i plan something because like every time we talk it's it's a hunting season she's like but i've realized a hunting season doesn't end <laughs> for you and i'm like yeah there's yeah it's, there's just more important times than others yeah. so we 
I'll be flexible. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta be a little yeah. flexible. Mm-hmm. I, I accidentally lied um, to my <laughs> wife back when we were dating. And I said, I, I really just need September's. I, I, that's all hunting season is for me is September. Yeah. And then after that, it's all over. Well, it's a... And I, I, I shouldn't have lied because I gave her false uh, expectation. And we've already, we, and now it's, we're on like year seven of being together. So it's like, we figured it out by now. Yeah. But uh, at that first I said, oh, just September. And uh, yeah, that was, that was a lie. Why? I shouldn't have said that. Keep your hubby happy. Yeah. That's, that's the, uh, that's probably the number one thing out of this whole podcast. <laughs> keep your, keep your hubby happy and communicate when when the hunting seasons are yeah, posted yeah. on the on the on the fridge at home so that she knows but. there you go <laughs> yep little randy newberg there exactly yeah channeling <laughs> channeling it but thank you so much bo i really appreciate it man and um we'll have to have you yeah. on again yeah i yeah. i i enjoyed mm-hmm. i enjoyed doing that maybe next time we can do it in person i hope i hope so i hope absolutely so. that would be yeah. fantastic and Lee, thank you, man. Thanks for jumping on. Uh, definitely have to have you on some yeah, more too. Yeah, no problem. Hopefully, hopefully uh, we have some more episodes that uh, that call for my long-winded stories. 